All right, how you guys doing? You guys tired yet or you feeling okay? Hey, well, those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jamie Bryant. I'm uh, one of the college pastors. I'm at Anderson, and you probably see me up each week um, if you go there leading worship. And uh, I also do our college missions program here and and a, a number of other things. So it's a real privilege to get to speak with you guys tonight. This isn't something that I I normally get to do, but I love to get to talk with you guys, especially about topics this important. And uh, I'm just really excited to be here. It's been a really fun retreat. I want to give a a thanks to uh, to Michelle and Keaton and and Lorian and Colin. Man, those guys have done a phenomenal job. Can we give them a hand? They've just done... They've done an outstanding job putting this retreat together. So if you get a chance, thank them, thank them, thank them for, for all that they've done. And I don't know if they were responsible, but whoever got Lane's here for lunch, Lane's sauce, I mean, come on. It, it doesn't get much better than that on a retreat, all right? So that, that was cool and uh, lots of fun dino games and all that good stuff. And uh, if you guys get a chance, thank Tyler, thank the band for leading us in worship. They've done such a great job and uh, it's been just a, a joy to get to, to worship together with you guys under their leadership. So, um, well, some of you guys knew I, I've been kind of under the weather this week. I had kind of this bronchitis thing. And so um, I've been, man, I have some good doctor friends. They've given me all kinds of medicine. And, and so I've been popping medicines right and left. And, and so like I, I've got like this haziness in my mind, but I've got also this, this other medicine that makes my heart race. And so this could be interesting as we get into this topic tonight. So... We'll bear with one another, okay? But uh, thank, thanks for those of you who prayed today. Um, my, uh, my voice is, is still there. If I start sounding like the godfather in the middle of this talk, you know what's going on. I'm not, I'm not entering into a, a terrible impression. But um, uh, okay, let me just pray for our topic. We got a lot of ground to cover tonight, so uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for this retreat. Thank you just for the time that we've had uh, to spend together, to worship together, to hear uh, from your word and just hear wisdom on relationships and dating. And then tonight, God, this topic is so important about sex. And um, Father, it's, uh, I know it's something that's um, close to your heart because you designed it and you called it good. Um, yet uh, there's so many things in this world that have distorted that, that have uh, kept us, even, even as believers, in, in guilt and shame and bondage for so long. And so, Father, tonight I, I pray that as we enter into this talk with uh, each of us having areas of brokenness regarding sexuality. Father, that as we sang in that song, you would take our brokenness, that you would make us whole as you intend for us to be. And Father, that with everything that we are, even, even these private issues in our lives, Lord, we would declare your glory, we would shout for your glory with everything. And then in a world where Satan has such bondage that darkness would tremble because we, as believers in Jesus, take a stand and we say we're going we're gonna to live as God intended us to live in our sexuality. Father, it's such an important issue and, and we, we thank you that Christ has ultimately won the victory and I pray that we would come awake, come awake and rise up from the grave, that we would walk in freedom and newness of life in this area. Father, would you just take this talk tonight, make it yours? Would you speak through me? Would you strengthen my voice? And would your spirit just enliven us and quicken us to to be changed by what you want us to know about this important issue? 
And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would just take hold of this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, guys, this is a, uh, a really, really important issue. It's an important issue to me, and I know it's an important issue to you. It's hard to talk about, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like uh, you bring this up, and we all get a little uncomfortable. Some of us are going to blush, and, and that just happens. And, uh, and so I think as we get into this, there's some things we need to kind of bring out into the open, okay? Uh, when I was in a, a seminary class a few years back, I took a course on uh, human sexuality, And to start the course off, the way that they kind of brought this out into the open is they had these giant whiteboards at the at the front of the room, okay? And and they asked us, they said, Hey, we want you guys to come up and just start writing on the whiteboard every synonym, every euphemism for the male and female sex organs that you can think of. Okay? And so I thought like maybe tonight. That could really kind of, you know, loosen the mood up here and we could pull out. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Some of you guys are are squirming and uh, going, oh man, I might leave. Some of you guys are kind of disappointed, aren't you? Honestly. Yeah. I know who you are. Um, uh, Anyways, and so... But, but really, like, I'll never forget that moment in this class. There was this giant whiteboard. I mean, it probably went from that side of the room, like, way over to this side. It had... Every single word for uh, the male and female sex anatomy um, that I'd ever heard of, some that I had never heard of. And you had, you had words, you know, like cutesy words like wee-wee or vajayjay that you te- teach your kids over here on this side. And then you had words, uh, you know, on the board that if I repeated them in here, we'd probably be asked to leave. And so um, in a seminary class, and I'm going, oh my gosh, like, you know, and we all had to participate. So I remember going up to this board. I don't even remember what I wrote on the board, but I do remember my face was bright red. And I'm a married man, and I'm writing these words on the board, and my face is bright red. And then I look around, and I realize everybody else's is too. Everybody's face is just bright red. Everybody is uncomfortable. It's like, man, we, we pulled that rug uh, off of the elephant. The elephant is revealed, and, and we, or whatever, you know. It's... Uh, <laughs> We let it all out in the open, and it was, it was, uh, it was weird. And uh, but honestly, the goal of that time, if nothing else, was just to show us like how hard this is for us to talk about, how hard it is for us to bring out into the open. That was a really, really uh, poignant example that stuck in my mind. And 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 honestly, I think because it's so hard for us to talk about, sometimes we just choose not to talk about it. Sometimes we sweep it under the rug or we take it and we, we relegate this topic. It's just something that's, that's worth joking about. We joke about it and we, we laugh about it and, and, and that's all we do with it. We don't give it any serious attention. And I think there's a, a few reasons for that. Why, why is it? Why is it that we don't talk about sex? Why is it so difficult to talk about? I think first it's uh, it's a private thing. It's private. Um, there's a reason that your sex organs are called privates, okay? It's meant to be private. When after the fall, God clothed Adam and Eve. There is something that's meant to be kept in private, which makes it difficult to bring out into the open, difficult to talk about. Um, the next thing is that it can, it can be confusing, all right? Um, especially for you guys as singles. I mean, you know that sex is supposed to be this awesome thing in marriage, but here you are as a single and you're going, I don't have that. So what does that mean for me now? 
As a single person looking to that, what does that mean? And it just gets confusing and so it's hard to talk about. The other reason that is it sometimes involves guilt or shame. And, and uh, just as, as, a, as an aside on that, I know there are things that you guys have, have struggled with, have experienced that you would never in a million years want to bring out into the open. And uh, there's, there's a lot of deep guilt in this room over, over past mistakes that you've made. There's a lot of shame in this room over things that have been done to you that weren't your fault, that you didn't deserve. And, and it's hard it's hard to talk about because it, it, it wounds us on so many levels. And I know for, for those of you who are experiencing guilt or shame tonight, there may be some things that are hard to hear in this talk tonight. And, and our heart, our goal as we talk about these issues is not to, not to drive you further into shame or guilt, not to make you feel those things, but to push you further toward freedom and, and, and working this, this stuff out in your life, getting in, it into the light and, and seeking freedom and healing and wholeness um, in this part of your life, all right? Okay, the next reason that it's hard to talk about, honestly, is it's because it's often seen as something that's dirty, all right? Sex is often seen as something that's just dirty. Um, much of what the media portrays about sex in our music, in our TV, in the movies, on the internet, magazines, books, whatever, it's just displayed as this raunchy thing. It's dirty, and... Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think that that distorted view creeps into our thinking. And so we start to view sex as this dirty thing. And so we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it into the open. Incidentally, you know, I think, that's, I think that might be one reason why as little kids, we name our private parts cute names, right? Because we want to shake the stigma of, of it being dirty. But it's not dirty. Like everything the media sells to us says it, it's, it's raunchy. And, and that's, we want to shake that stigma. We want to move past that. And uh, really, whatever the case is, I, I'm convinced that we need to elevate our view of sex. We need to elevate how we think about it, what we think about it. Um, and uh, our thoughts and views about sex have to be lifted if we're going to move forward and if we're going to seek after what I call uh, sexual wholeness. That's understanding God's plan for me as a sexual person. We have to elevate our thoughts about it first if we're going to move forward in that. And with that, I mean, you've heard it said that like God is, is so much higher than anything we could ever think or imagine. And even if we took one of his attributes and we focused on that and meditated on it for, for hours and hours and hours, we'd still fall short of fully understanding who God is. I think in the same way, God has given us sex as a gift to help us understand more of his heart. And, and I think in the same way, we need to, to elevate our thoughts about sex to, to, to help us understand what he intended by it and how it reveals him. We don't do that. Our, our minds are in the gutter and we need to elevate our view of sex out of the gutter. Honestly, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do in our culture, isn't it? That's really hard. All around us, we're surrounded by all kinds of different messages. And I, uh, tonight, I got, a, I got a little sampling for you I want you to listen to. And my goal in playing this is not to um, incite any lust in you. It's not to make you feel embarrassed. My goal is just to, 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 to bring to the light what we hear every day, what we see every day, what we listen to every day. And I want you to just listen to these words and think about how that message 
has distorted our view of sexuality. feel after listening to that man that's heavy isn't it i know that was long to sit through um 
and, 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 and the goal in, in letting you sit through that is not to make you feel embarrassed, but it should make us feel uncomfortable. It should make us feel really uncomfortable. That that's a predominant voice in the world about sex and sexuality. I mean, did you guys hear the messages in those songs? What are the messages? The messages are like, man, just experiment. Just be carefree. Just try different things. It's all about your physical pleasure. It's, it's all about, you know, this experience and getting caught up in your personal spiritual or uh, physical pleasure. Anything goes. That's the message of every single one of those songs. This, this, this freedom that the world tries to sell you, that you can just try anything and it's all okay. Um, there's, a, there's a show, a popular show on TV right now uh, called Greek. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, but it's, it's about the Greek system. And in this show, there's a, a, one of the, the guys who's um, in, in the frat house and he's advising his friend on relationships and sex. And he says, he says, man, all you have to do or all you have to think about is what feels right to you. Don't let other people get in your head about it. Just be your own moral compass. All you have to do is just do what feels right to you. Be your own moral compass. That's the message of every single one of those songs that's being sold to us. And, uh, and not only that, I mean, we're, we're seeing it in, in TV. We're seeing it in the movies. Uh, when we pick up a book to read or when we go to the grocery store and we pick up a magazine, wherever it is, we see it on the internet all around us. That is the message that we're continually bombarded with. And I want to ask you guys a question. I want you to raise your hand. And it's not, um, not to embarrass you. I just kind of want to get a, get a feel for this. Raise your hand if you, if you grew up in a, in a Christian home, all right? Probably most of you in this room, all right? Okay, now raise your hand uh, if you received good, healthy teaching about sex and sexuality from your parents. Good, that's a good number of you. That's, that's surprising. I'm happy to see that. All right, how many of you grew up in a Christian church? Okay, again, most of you. How many of you received good, healthy teaching about sex and sexuality from your church? Okay, a lot fewer of you, all right? Um, guys, you know... <laughs> I think, I think Christian families and, and Christian churches have largely missed the mark on that. I mean, every single one of us who, who raised our hand that we'd grown up in a Christian family or grown up in a Christian church ought to be able to say we received healthy teaching. But our, our Christian families, our Christian churches, the reality is they're missing the mark. And that, that's not to make you guys embittered toward them, um, but it is to say we need to be a generation that steps it up and talks about this and brings it in a light and talks about God's intentions for it. Because if we don't, and if we don't teach our kids about it and, and teach the next generation about it, who's going to be the voice of what sex and sexuality is? Things that we just heard. It's not going to be uh, your high school anatomy class because that failed me miserably. It's going to be these other messages. That's gonna, those are going to be the things that, that teach our kids and the next generation about sex. And so we have to step up and redeem this. Um, I think it's extremely tragic that, that we've lost sight of God's intention for sex. And, and essentially, it's like Romans says, we've, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've allowed these other things to creep in and replace the truth of what sex and sexuality is and what it's meant to be, how it reveals God's heart. And uh, I think it's one of the, the most important things that we can talk about. A, because it's so prevalent. We know it's all over the media. We know it's all around us. We, we hear it all the time around us when we go to class. 
It's so prevalent, but it's also so powerful. Sex is a really powerful thing. On the one hand, it has the potential to to build up. It has the potential to edify. It really is one of the, the most beautiful expressions of intimacy that God has designed to reveal himself and his heart for intimacy with us. But it also has the, the ability to, to destroy. Honestly, some of the most mean-spirited, hurtful, destructive things in this world are sexual in nature. They cut really deep because they expose a, vulnerabil- a vulnerability that's there within us. And so sex is really powerful. Uh, it, it can be used for good or, or great evil. And so it's, it's so important Uh, We talk about it and then we elevate it and and understand it from God's standard. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about sex from God's viewpoint, all right? First thing, um, sex according to God's design. I think the first thing is that God calls sex a good thing. Sex is good. It's not bad. It's not meant to be dirty. Sex as God designed it is is good. And Matt talked about this last night. But if you remember in in Genesis 2.18, what did God say? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll, I'll make him a helper that's suitable for him. And, and he gave him this, this female counterpart. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, God didn't want man to be alone. He knew he'd be incomplete. So he gave him this perfect companion. Um, we also see in Genesis one twenty seven that uh, God created us as male and female. Male and female in our unique genders of male and female masculinity and femininity, uh, to image him together, okay? That includes uh, everything about our genders, our, our hormones, our genitals, everything. God gave us those things as we interact with each other to, to reflect him. Um, he gave us those things for, for his glory. And uh, there's a, so our gender sexuality the fact that we are created male and female is a really good thing because together we complement one another and we help uh, uh, image God. God also gives Adam and Eve um, to one another in this covenant relationship. He allows them to come together in this covenant of marriage and uh, involved in that is an erotic sexuality, sexual intercourse within that marriage. And um, that's a very real part of it. And I think it's so cool that after God had done all this, when the two became one flesh and, you know, here God had pronounced all these things, good, 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 good. And then he sees man and woman coming together, male and female different, but coming together as one. And he goes, it's very good. This is a very good thing. It's pure and holy in my sight. All right. We don't usually think of sex that way, do we? A lot of us think about like the marriage ceremony and we think, okay, okay, God's there and he's, he's up there. He's blessing this ceremony. But when they leave, man, God's going to go, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go over here. I'm not going to watch this. You know, he hides his eyes. He hides away and goes, whew, kind of, that kind of embarrasses me. That's not God. God has a plan through that and a design and he smiles on that and he loves it because he designed it for his glory and for his purposes. It's a good thing. He calls it very good. So what are God's divine purposes in sex? Sounds like a weird question, doesn't it? But God designed it to image him. He designed us in our genders to image him. And he designed us even in the capacity to have this erotic sexual experience within marriage to image him. And that's where we get to this idea that 
Sex is, is, is a metaphor. It's, it's meant to mirror something greater than the act itself. Sex is a metaphor for something greater. And what I mean by that is that uh, it reveals some things about God. It, it, first of all, it reflects the creativeness of our God. Um, I love the visuals that we get in Genesis when you see the spirit of God hovering over the surface of the, of the waters. And there's this amazing creativity in God as he, as he surveys all that he's about to, to make and fashion into something beautiful. He's the, the origin of life, the author of life, the, the, the maker of everything that's beautiful and good. And uh, there's this creative genius in God. And, uh, and then God, out of that, makes man and woman in his image. And, uh, and he, he wants them to mirror him together. And he, and he pours this creative energy out of himself, this creative potential out of himself into man and woman. And he says what? Go, fill the earth and subdue it. And, and, uh, and multiply in the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. So God gives that creative potential to man and woman. And as they interact in their marriage and in sex, God gives them this creative potential to create more life. It's, uh, it's, it, it reveals God's creative intent to perpetuate life on the earth. So uh, sex does that. It, it gives us this creative potential. Um, But honestly, sex in God's divine plan isn't simply about procreation. I think most of us know that. But um, honestly, I think most importantly, sex reflects God as Trinity. Sex reflects God as Trinity. What what do I mean by that? God is Trinity. God in three persons. There's not a a sameness of the persons. They are distinct, but they, they are one. They have different, different roles, but they come together as one, uh, fully differentiated, yet fully intimate and existing in oneness. And there's a fullness of joy within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, as they engage together as one. Um, it's really hard for us in our, our finite minds to understand that three persons, one essence. What does that mean? Um, and so honestly, I think God uh, gives us out of his grace and his goodness and kindness, some metaphors to understand that. All over the Bible, all over the Bible, we are called to reflect him in oneness as his people, all right? God calls us to to be one. He calls us to love like him, to be like him, to be united like him, like he is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, We see it even in Genesis where God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And creating us, even in that act of creation, God created us to reflect the community that he has within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? So we are designed to reflect God as Trinity. As Trinity. Well, how do we do that? Um, first way is uh, just broadly in the context of Christian community. Um, that's in the church. Matt talked about this last night, just uh, uh, this idea of um, relationships, that's where we, that's where we uh, seek after this unity, this oneness that God wants for us. John 17, 20 through 26, Jesus prays for his disciples, which includes you and me. He says, God, I pray that, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. This is what Matt talked about with general relationships. Um, we as God's people are a reflection of God's oneness as we interact together as his people. 
We are not the same. We're all different, but yet we come together through Christ as one, male and female, different. And in Paul's day and age, it was Jew, Gentile, master and servant, but they could all come together as one and reflect the image of a God that exists in community as Trinity. All right. And as we get more narrow, the other way that that, uh, I think God intends for for man and woman to reflect his, uh, his oneness is in the context of marriage, which includes erotic sex. It includes sexual intercourse. If you remember the the original model, Adam and Eve, um, they're the pattern that God sets in order for marital oneness, for relational intimacy within this covenant of marriage. Uh, Genesis 2, God even creates Eve from Adam's rib. So there's this automatic connection. And and Adam even says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They They have this oneness already that they share. She was part of him and and then, uh, and then even through their covenant relationship um, and through the act of sexual intercourse, uh, in Genesis 2.24, the Bible says they become one flesh. An intimacy that is absolutely pure and absolutely holy, where they can be naked and unashamed. No guilt, no shame in that. That's even repeated in the New Testament. You guys uh, might be familiar with Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, but um, it, Paul says that, that, he repeats that, and he says the two shall become one flesh. And what he says about that is that, that idea of the, the two coming together as one flesh reflects Christ and the church. Again, it, it, it reflects um, something greater than the act itself. It's a metaphor for something greater. It's Christ and the church. So uh, sex is in, intended to provide a great intimacy between marriage partners. And, and it actually strengthens that, that oneness that God intended within the marriage covenant. And honestly, that's what makes it such a good thing. That's what makes it so pleasurable within the context of a marriage is that it's a safe place. We're not just your physical needs are met, but you get to uh, celebrate emotional, spiritual, physical, all these needs coming together and, and, uh, and celebrating that union and that oneness in the context of marriage. I think God smiles on that because it reflects the oneness that he shares within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's also the oneness that he extends to us as he invites us into relationship with himself. That's why Ephesians 5 says it mirrors Christ and his love for the church. Honestly, guys, that, that convicts me because the fact that sex, sexuality, sexual intercourse, the fact that these things uh, reflect our God and are a metaphor meant to point to him, meant to mirror him, um, it's convicting because it makes it a much more important issue. It makes the stakes a little bit higher. It makes it a little bit more serious because if I really view that it, that it reflects God, man, I should, I should honor it. It should be something that, that I honor, that, that I treat with respect, and that I, I, that I seek to hold as pure and holy because God is pure and holy. For example, uh, if sex is meant to reveal our perfect triune God who, who has this great community in himself and extends that community to us. If, it, if it's meant to represent a God who enters into faithful covenant with us and is faithful within himself, what does it communicate to the world when we engage in sex outside of marriage? 
that doesn't communicate that faithful covenant God and his love that he has for us. It doesn't communicate the oneness that he has within himself as Trinity when we do that, when we go outside of God's plan for that. God's design for erotic sexuality. I know that's an uncomfortable word. I'm going to be using that a lot, so let's just get used to it. But honestly, God's design for erotic sexuality, sexual intercourse within marriage, is that each man find their own Adam and Eve and or Eve and, uh, and that they commit to being a one woman, uh, one man person in a covenant marriage between male and female. If you remember God's original intent for sex, that male and female would reflect him together in a state of covenantal oneness. Any, any erotic sexuality that falls out of that fails to reflect who God is and his character and his covenantal faithfulness. The tragedy is that the world sells sex so short, doesn't it? The world sells sex as this, um, this physical thing that you just need to get met, these needs that you need to get met physically. And um, God's design is so much more holistic than that. God's design is that, um, that we would be self-giving of all of ourselves within marriage. God's design is just that as he fully gives of himself, we would fully give of ourselves not just physically, but in other ways as well. And guys, if we could up our standards, up our view of sex, imagine what that communicate, could communicate to the world about our God, about our God being one, God in three persons and, and inviting us into that relationship with us in faithful love, faithful covenant. There are all kinds of verses in scripture that describe sex as being something uh, that's reserved for marriage. One of my favorites is in Hebrews 13, four, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's not, that's not the way the world thinks. And uh, honestly, sex as God intended it is far better than what the world sells you. Sex as God intended it that, that erotic sexual intercourse that you experience in marriage is so much better than what the world sells you. Um, there's no fear. There's no shame. There's no guilt in that, in the way that God designed it. It's a oneness that God intended us for us to take part in, to understand him in a new way, to know him in a new way. It's a metaphor that points to him. And uh, it's a great thing, Okay. But even as I say that, even as I say it's a great thing and it's even better than what the world tells you, a lot of you guys are sitting there going, thanks, man, that doesn't, that doesn't help much, you know? Like, I remember being in, in your shoes uh, years back and, and hearing this over and over again, like, man, sex is awesome. Man, when you get married, you're going to be able to experience this awesome oneness of sex that, that's just going to blow your mind and it's going to be out of this world. It's going to be awesome. And I, I, I remember thinking, man, that sounds really good. And then they'd go, uh, but sorry, bro, you got to wait, you know, and, and good luck till then, you know, uh, just uh, do your best. I have, I, gosh, like, I have to be honest, I think that's one of the greatest disservices that we do as Christians when we tell people that. We dangle this carrot in front of singles and we go, man, sex and marriage are amazing, See it? See it up here? Look at that. Man, it's so awesome. 
Sorry, guys. You know, I mean, it's just mean. It's mean-spirited. And uh, uh, I sat through all those talks growing up, and I remember thinking that. Um, and I, I want to point out the, the problem with that, the problem with only emphasizing the don'ts, okay? When we do that and we say, okay, it's great, but it's not for you. you don't, 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 don't. But then when you get married, do, Okay. That's what we communicate. And I think the problem with that is that um, it can focus on repression and not discipline. Okay? There's a difference between those two things. Repression is when, when you seek to bury uh, your desires or deny the importance or legitimacy of those desires. In sexuality, it's just denying that those are important desires that you have, denying those things, pushing them down. We, we seek to, to separate ourselves from those sexual desires, almost as if they're, they're dirty or wrong. And honestly, uh, it's almost like we're communicating, okay, you, you walk through life as a single, you walk through life as a, as, as a teenager, you go into college, and maybe someday you get married. Well, then, man, once you get married, you flip on this light switch, and then you become this sexual person. Like, all of a sudden, I, I am now a sexual person. But before that, I meant to be like asexual, not, not sexual at all. That's not true. You guys know that's not true. Like, that's not the way God designed us. We are designed as sexual beings, sexual human beings. That's part of who we are. That's part of being created as male and female. And so repression is denying that. Discipline looks at it a different way. And discipline recognizes our God-given desires it recognizes those things and our impulses and it, and it seeks to manage those God-given desires and, and redirect them in the way that God intended them um, to, to, to put them in their proper place, so to speak, and, and, and to acknowledge that they are so important that there's such a part of how God designed me as a male and, and, and you ladies as females. There's, those things are so important that I want to give them the honor that they deserve. And, and I want to be careful in a way, in the way that I express those things. And then there's a time, there's a place and, and there are ways to express that. All right. The next disservice that I think, uh, uh, only focusing on the don'ts does is that it focuses on, on what you don't have rather than on what you do have. What this says is that the only real positive reward of, of waiting through singleness is, is, is marriage and sex. It's, it's that uh, if you can make it through this purgatory of sorts and, and just travel through it and travel through it, one day you'll get rewarded for that. It focuses on what you don't have rather than what you do have in the moment. Um, that that if, you can just, if you can just get through this single stage, God's gonna reward you with a spouse that can meet your needs. That's not true, all right? The other danger is that it has a potential to make marriage and sex into an idol. Okay, that flows from what I just said, that, that if, if we can wait and wait and wait, we'll get this reward. Well, uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people will say, well, if you can just wait and wait and wait, you'll get this ultimate satisfaction in marriage. Don't sell yourself short out here. Just wait for the ultimate sac- satisfaction of sex within marriage. Um, the problem is, you know, we talked about sex being metaf- a metaphor for something bigger, that it's meant to reflect God. Um, so sex is not really the thing, the ultimate thing, okay? God is the ultimate thing. God gave us sex and our sexuality to image him, to mirror him, 
And so if we look to marriage and if we look to sex within marriage and we go, that's what I want to head for. Once I get there, I will be fulfilled. That sets it up as an idol. That's a dangerous thing to do with anything in our lives. Guys, I, I remember, uh, I don't know if you can, any of you can relate, but I remember as a, as a kid growing up having conversations with, with my neighbor and we'd sit around, we'd just be talking and, you know, talking about things little guys talk about and, I wonder what sex is like, man. You know, like we're, we're sharing and kind of wondering and, and we're both Christians. And so at the time we go, man, I sure hope the rapture doesn't come before I get married and get to have sex. And like, and so we really got in like a deep conversation about this. I mean, like a real, we weren't joking. We're legitimately talking, man, surely God's not that mean. I mean, like, He's not going to come before I, I get to do that, is he? Like, man, that, that would just be the worst. Um, and you guys are laughing because you know it's true. You've done that too. You know? You're not laughing at me, I don't think. But, uh, you, <laughs> um, but honestly, the, the danger in that is that um, uh, when we view anything as an idol, and we view that as the ultimate, it's always going to fall short because it's not the ultimate. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that leads to greater temptation in, in this area of sexuality in our lives is that we, we view it as this ultimate thing. And so, um, and so whatever we think uh, is going to be ultimately fulfilling falls short and leaves us empty. We build up these promises that can never be fulfilled when we view it that way and when sex becomes an idol or marriage becomes an idol. You guys, I've known people who've, who've done this and, and marriage and sex within marriage was an idol for them and they headed toward that and then they got to marriage and you know what? They were disappointed. They worked through that, but they were disappointed initially because it, they'd set it up as this idol in their lives, this thing that was supposed to be all-fulfilling and, and, and the best thing, they focused on that as the thing and then they got there and it let them down and they had struggles even in their marriage. Now, the point I'm trying to making is that's not our goal ultimately um, when we think about this. You know, uh, honestly, we'll never be completely satisfied until we are with Christ as his bride. That is what we're looking for. That is what we hope for. That is our ultimate. That is the thing. And, and you know, Matt, Matt's been uh, going through this series on heaven and hell. And one of the things he talked about is that uh, one of the things about heaven, the, the in, this end time heaven on earth thing, is that there's no marriage or giving in marriage. And for a lot of us, that's a real letdown, isn't it? We go, boy, that, that stinks. Like, if there's no marriage, giving in marriage probably isn't sex. Man, that really stinks. And so we start to kind of fear that. But the problem is, if it's just meant to be a metaphor for something else, we are going to be experiencing something far greater than that. Because God's been pointing us to something far greater all along. We get to experience God in his fullness. We get to experience the oneness that he has within himself. We get to experience being drawn in and, and invited in to that oneness with him as we are united to him as his bride. That is what we look for. That's the ultimate thing. And that's what we need to be driving for. Not something lesser that's just meant to reflect that. All right. 
So if, uh, is, if focusing on the don'ts is problematic, if that's not the right thing to do, then what do we do? What's the solution? Um, I think first of all, uh, first of all, we need to rethink our concept of virginity. Okay. Most of us think of uh, virginity as a physical thing. Okay. It's just a physical thing. Um, but I, I want to challenge us to think of it not just as a physical thing. So much of how the world defines this is what you have done or what you haven't done. And uh, what boundaries have you crossed? What are the technicalities involved? You know, like when, when uh, you guys remember Clinton, Bill Clinton, when the Monica Lewinsky thing happened? It's a great example. Like, was the boundary crossed? Like, uh, you know, oral sex happened in that relationship. He comes out and says, I did not have sex with that woman. And so then you get into technicalities. Well, how do you define what it means to have sex? And when we talk about that in in the context of virginity, we ask the wrong question when we ask, how far is too far? You know, what, what are those boundaries that I can go right up to, but that's too far? That's the wrong question to ask. We need to rethink our concept of, of virginity. You know, that's honestly, that's like asking how poorly can I run my car before it breaks down, right? That's a stupid question to ask. You know, I'm not a mechanic or anything, but if any of you came up to me um, and you, you, you brought me a two liter uh, Coke bottle filled with moonshine and you said, hey, I'm gonna put this in my uh, gas tank. Uh, you think that's a good idea? I, I don't know much about cars, but I'm probably gonna say, man, you know, like uh, you, that may work for a while, but it's not... That's probably not the way it was meant to run, so you might get in some trouble, okay? So we ask the wrong questions when we, when we ask, okay, how, how poorly can I do before I cross that boundary? That, that's not the right question to ask. So we need to rethink virginity as just being a physical boundaries issue, and uh, we want to think about it as an attitude of the heart. And I'm going to talk about a term called uh, soul virginity, okay? It talks about soul virginity, that it's that virginity becomes more of an attitude of the heart uh, and seeking after the wholeness that God wants for you in the sexual area of your life. While physical virginity is certainly important, and, and honestly, physical virginity is an expression of this heart issue, we don't want to focus on that as the main thing. Uh, we, want to, we want to go much deeper in that, than that. Um, so soul virginity goes a lot deeper. All right, so how do we seek after this? How do we seek after soul virginity? What does that mean? What does that look like? I want to kind of frame sexuality in a, in a new light for you guys. I think uh, so often we think of sexuality as just this erotic thing, sexual intercourse within marriage. And I kind of want to reframe the discussion for you guys. And I want to talk about a concept uh, just called sexual wholeness, okay? We need to seek after sexual wholeness. And what I mean by this is that there are three areas within our sexuality, okay? I've alluded to these earlier, but uh, there's the, the big area, which is just our general sexuality, okay? Um, this has to do with our gender, the way God designed us as male and female and the differences there, the, the peculiarities there and, and the way we interact differently. That's general sexuality. Uh, this is really encompasses all human interactions. Um, and, and honestly, most sexual expression happens in that circle, just in our general sexuality as we interact as guys and girls. That's a real part of it. That's, that would be the uh, platonic 
non-romantic, um, non-erotic elements, excuse me, of our sexuality. And, uh, and honestly, um, I think it's the most fundamental form of how we express our human sexuality because uh, that's where we bond and that's where many of our, our, of our social and affective and even familial needs are met in that area. I mean, uh, you know, think of growing up and the way you interacted with your, your dad or your mom are going to affect the way that you, uh, you know, view your masculinity or femininity, the way you interact with, with male and female. Um, it's, it shapes us. Um, and, and that's a major part of our sexuality that we often uh, don't really think about. Um, the next thing, um, it moves as we go down to, in concentric circles, it goes to romantic sexuality, okay? This would be kind of the things that, that Trey and Marcy were talking about last night in, in the dating talk. So you have, you have out here in the general gender sexuality, you've got connecting, you're connecting with other people. And then you, you find this like um, closer connection and you start coupling and that, that's what happens in the romantic sexuality is you start dating and, and maybe some expressions of that come out and holding hands, kissing, uh, whatever that might be. Um, and then that would move from there into erotic sexuality, which according to God's design is meant to be in the context of marriage. It's a covenant erotic sexuality reserved for marriage. And, and I know those kind of move from, from outward to inward, but, but I, think, I think what I want to tell you guys tonight is that if you're single, it's not like you're a second-class citizen try, trying to, on the fringes out there trying to move into the center, okay? You're not a second-class citizen, and you're not simply just trying to outlast that stage until you can get to the deeper stage, okay? You need to view yourself as a person that, that, that's sexual in more than just that one way. We often take this erotic sexuality out of this box. And we say, okay, here are my relationships, but sex is this one little narrow thing. Our sexuality is so much more than, than, uh, than the erotic. Honestly, I like to think of it as like a, a, a dinner party. Like you may have these two different dinner parties. It's a good analogy for me that helps me. Um, you got a dinner party that's like a sit down dinner. And so you're, you're sitting across the table from this one person. You're engaging, really getting to know them, having this intimate dinner. Okay. And then at the other party, uh, you're mingling around. There's this buffet. And so you're going around and, and, and getting all this food. And it's not that one is better than the other. They both have their purpose. They both have their place. Not one is, is second class and one is first class. They're just different. And I, and I think that's the way it is with, with singleness versus um, being married and, and the way your sexuality plays out. There's different opportunities to, to express different aspects of that. One of the things that gets challenging, though, is that you start on the outside, general sexuality, and you, you move toward the center. It gets a little more potent, a little more at risk, a little, a little more at stake, and it's a little more powerful. And, uh, and so that brings up two issues, especially for you guys as singles. First issue is, how do I exercise my God-given sexuality in the general and romantic sexuality spheres? I'm calling those spheres up there, uh, what you just saw a second ago. So how do I exercise my God-given sexuality in the general and romantic sexuality spheres? Uh, guys, I think you have a unique opportunity while you're in that uh, general gender sexuality sphere while you're living in that moment. Um, 
It's a unique opportunity to, to build healthy relationships with people of the opposite sex. You, you get to affirm one another as male and female. Guys, you get to affirm um, these girls' uh, femininity. Girls, you get to affirm guys' masculinity. Um, I, I really just call that gender-affirming relationships, okay, where you're just affirming one another. And Matt talked about this um, last night. Um, it's, it's building up my brothers and my sisters for their benefit, not my own. I'm looking out for their interests. I want to build them up. Um, so how can I do that as a guy? How can I build up a girl? I want, to, uh, I want to appreciate her. I want to respect her. I want to honor her. I want to protect her. That's what I want to do. It's different from uh, flirting, okay? When we're in that sphere, we interact as guys, girls. What, flirting, that's, that's self-motivated. I'm flirting, I'm teasing. I, I want to get them to notice me. I want to get them to like me. That's not, that's not healthy. Healthy gender sexual interaction is, uh, is affirming, seeking somebody for their benefit. So are we protecting and honoring one another in this area? in this outer box? Are we protecting and honoring one another? And I want to ask you a question. Um, These are just questions to think about. Do I seek attention from members of the opposite sex for my benefit or to build up? Do I seek attention from members of the opposite sex for my benefit or to build them up? And then similarly, am I treating every brother and sister in Christ in the same way? Or do I single out special people? One of the primary ways that I think we can do this well in that, in that sphere of general sexuality is, uh, is just viewing each other as three-dimensional people, okay? Sounds weird, but I think so often we view people as just physical or, um, you know, we, uh, we don't view them as people with, with a mind, with emotions, uh, body, soul, spirit. We don't, we don't think about people in that way. And I think if we really want to understand um, what God intends for us is the body of Christ in that area. And even as we move into the, the, the erotic area of marriage, we have to understand one another and seek after one another holistically. Um, and with this, guys, I want to uh, just talk about an aside on lust. I think that's the major problem with the area of lust. For you guys that, that struggle with your eyes, for all of us that, that struggle with our eyes, the, 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 the reason that we do that is because we stop thinking of people three-dimensionally, and we just, we just think of the physical. And man, if we, could just, if we could just look at our sisters in Christ and think of them as whole people or even people that we don't know that, that aren't our sisters in Christ, if we could look at them and, and, and look in their face, look in their eyes and say, I wonder what kind of day that person has had. I wonder, I wonder what joys that person is experiencing. I wonder what sorrows, what sadness that person is experiencing. We move beyond the physical and we start to see them as a whole person, not just a body walking around. And for you girls, you know, honestly, I think a lot of you have bought the lie that, that tells you that, that you're one dimensional, that, you, that all that matters is your physical um, appearance. And uh, that's just a lie. And I'm sorry that we as guys have perpetuated that lie, but, but it really is, it is a lie and I love that Trey and Marcy brought out the verse last night of Proverbs 31.30. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Um, it's the inward character of the heart. It's, that's what you need to be cultivating. And, I, and, I, and I'll be honest with you ladies, as a guy, 
The sexiest thing about my wife is that she is secure in the Lord. She knows who she is in him. I love that about my wife and that drives me crazy. (laughs) I love that about her. And guys, that's what you need to be looking for. And that's what you need to be looking for in a woman. And girls, you need to look for character in a guy. Um, you need to look for, for a guy who, who is godly, who's humble, who's, who's a servant leader. And, and, and that's what matters when you're looking for, for a mate. So view people as, as holistic. And uh, in this sphere up here, uh, we can enjoy one another as male and female. We could just relate on a, on a social level and, and just explore and appreciate the differences about us. Uh, I think one of the things that's tragic about our culture is that um, we've, we've kind of taken away the difference between male and female in a lot of respects. and said that, you know, we're all the same. And, and so we don't fully appreciate that. But I, I think there's so much to appreciate, so much to affirm, so much to enjoy as we interact with the opposite sex and as we view each other holistically. All right, so the next thing, uh, as we seek after sexual wholeness in that general sexuality sphere, the next question is, how do I discipline my God-given sexuality so that I don't move too quickly into the romantic realm or even to the realm of erotic sexuality? That's one of the big questions. Okay, how do I, how do I interact in this and discipline, not, not repress um, those desires, but discipline them and train them in a way that doesn't go too far um, into the center of the circle. Remember, we talked about uh, this is just simply an issue of just valuing it so much that I want to honor it. So how do, I, how do I discipline it? For guys, I want to encourage you when you're in this area, the way you can discipline yourself is just to control your sexual desire and your visual nature. A lot of, a lot of us guys are just visual people and we need to keep that in check. We need accountability. We need, um, we need to put the right... Uh, monitors in places we can discipline that. Um, the next thing is for you guys, don't, don't manipulate girls or play on their hearts, okay? Uh, beyond that, be, be cautious uh, when paying too much focused attention to a girl. And then monitor your caring touch and affection as you interact uh, with your sisters in Christ. Those are just some boundaries. Those are some ways we can discipline ourselves as we're in that area. And then for you girls, one of the things you can do is just control your minds. Don't let your minds get too far ahead. And, and, and also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware that pornography is a, is a growing, growing issue among women. And so control your eyes as well. The same as I, I'm challenging the guys to do. Um, the next thing is just dress, dress modestly and, and sit modestly. And, and uh, you know, don't, uh, don't give um, your brothers any cause to stumble. And then for you girls, uh, monitor um, what, what I might call erotic touches. And what that means is just like a, a caress or something that, that might make your, your brother go, I kind of felt good. I kind of like that. You know, like, just be careful with that. Monitor those things. And those are just some ways you can discipline yourself in that area so you don't move quickly either in your actions or in your mind into the center phase. And Trey and Marcy really did a good job, especially as they talked about boundaries within dating of, of you know, what, what are those good boundaries to have? They did a great job with that. And so I think that applies as you, as you think about living in that general sphere, not moving too quickly inwardly. Guys, the fact is most of our lives, and I said this already, are lived in that general sexuality. Even I as a married person, my wife and I, even though we have this intimacy within marriage, we still exist within this greater context. 
And, and as we build healthy relationships outside of that, our marriage is even more healthy. And so uh, we have legitimate needs that need to be met in that outer area that are important as we interact with male and female. And I think the lie that the world tries to tell us is that some of those needs that need to be met out there and should be met out there need to be met in here in this erotic sense. And so you may have a, 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 a need to be um, comforted or cared for or, um, or just respected or whatever it might be. And, and sometimes the world says, sexualize those needs, okay? We make them sexual needs and we think we can meet them in a physical sense. And so we go after that and then we fall up short and we're left wanting and we're left empty. And I think it's because we're not cultivating those relationships and that sexual wholeness like we should as we interact with male and female. There's some lies, some things that the world will tell us that are okay outside of marriage, and that are okay uh, to get some of these needs met in, in different ways. And I'm just going to talk through some of these things. Some of these things may be uncomfortable. Um, but I think there's some of the major issues that we face in our culture. But I think these are lies that the world sells us that, that can meet our needs. And, uh, and, and, and the world has sexualized what are legitimate needs. And, and put them in this box that, that can only be met. All right. So uh, masturbation first one. The world says masturbation's Okay. It's all right. If you can't have sex, then it's okay to masturbate. It's okay to, um, uh, to just give yourself pleasure if you can't get that um, through sex, sexual intercourse. The problem is, uh, is that while masturbation in and of itself may, ta- may take some of that physical edge off, some of that hormonal edge off, this doesn't fit in God's design. Okay, the reason, the whole reason God gave us some of these hormones are so that we can interact with others, so that we can be relational. And so masturbation goes, goes outside of that, goes outside of God's plan. Beyond that, sex, that, that intimate moment is meant to be experienced in oneness, two different people that are not the same coming together as one. And so masturbation by itself, at its very best, is incomplete. It's not a complete picture of what God's plan for sexuality is, of that oneness that we experience. I think it's also a dangerous thing because it reinforces the idea that, that sex is about me getting my physical needs met. Remember, we talked about sex being so much more than that, that it reveals our self-giving God who gives all of himself. Okay? And, and when we walk into we walk through life and, and, you know, if this is a practice, this is a continual struggle, you're just continually reinforcing the idea that getting your physical needs is most important. And that creates a real danger when you walk into marriage because you, you, you go in there just wanting your physical needs met instead of, instead of really seeing how you can meet that, other's person, that other person's needs holistically, body, mind, spirit. Um, and we just reinforce that selfishness when we in, engage in this. My, uh, my encouragement is, you know, with those hormonal urges, man, that's where we talk about disciplining and redirecting those towards something that's godly and pure, toward, toward being a sexually whole person, realizing, okay, that's just part of who I am. That's just part of who I'm designed. I'm going to redirect this into 
the healthy interaction with others um, that's affirming, that, that, that builds up. The next thing that, that the world will tell us is okay is, is pornography. The lie is that no one's harmed. I, I, don't, I don't have to interact with anybody and, and no one's harmed in it. The problem is that it, it again just feeds that lust and that selfishness, that, that lie that says my needs are most important. And it's, again, it's one-sided. It's just about me. There's, there's no person involved. It's just, I'm objectifying. Guys, the reality is that many of these people that you have viewed, that we have viewed as we've seen nude images, the reality is most of these people are extremely wounded people. They've had terrible experience, terrible experiences in life. A lot of them have, have been victims of abuse. A lot of them have been um, just experienced all kinds of trauma and, 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 and bad family relationships, bad relationships. And, and um, to take pleasure in, in looking at that is just wrong. It's, uh, it's sad that we could take pleasure in that. And that's where we get into really just viewing people as holistic people, thinking about not just their bodies, but them as a person as a male or as a female, how God designed them uniquely. Guys, if you, if you struggle for this, my goal is not to, to slam you down, guys or girls. And, and if you struggle with this, there is hope. And I, and I would encourage you, you know, if it's computer stuff at home, disconnect the source. Uh, you know, give somebody your, your internet card. Disconnect uh, the internet at your house, whatever it might be. Get accountability. And then most importantly, start looking at people three-dimensionally not just as, as bodies walking around. All right, things that the world tells us are okay outside of marriage. Next thing, oral sex. I brought this up kind of with the Bill Clinton thing. Uh, a lot of people kind of think about this as like, okay, well, I can go to this boundary, but it's not really sexual intercourse. And, uh, you know, outside of marriage, especially, I mean, I hear Christians talk about that that way. Like, it's not sexual intercourse, so, you know, maybe it's okay. Guys, like, uh, the thing with oral sex is that it, it leaves you naked and exposed. There's some things within that that uh, there's, an, there's an intimacy, there's orgasm, there are those things within that that God intended for a celebration of marital oneness and union, okay? And so when we step outside of that plan, it just falls short. When we sidestep what God's plan is for that oneness, not... Not just, a, not just a physical pleasure thing, but a holistic oneness. We get outside of what God intended. The next thing that the world will tell you is okay is homosexuality. Offering alternative lifestyles uh, as a way to get your needs met. You know, there are a lot of passages that, that seem clear on this, but, but I've also heard say, well, okay, people say, well, those passages are clear, but there are also passages that tell me don't like eat shellfish. So, um, you know, which one am I... To, to, to take. I mean, so you're saying homosexuality is wrong. Well, you eat shellfish. I've heard that argument before. The problem is homosexuality doesn't fit within God's original design and intent. You remember the whole, the whole issue in creating male and female? Here's God, three persons, a oneness that's not based on sameness. And he, he, he makes male and female who are not the same but he gives them this opportunity to experience this oneness that reflects his heart. Homosexuality does not, does not reflect that oneness. 
it, it falls outside of what God's original design and intent is um, for sex. The next thing is just hooking up or casual sex. Um, again, the world will tell you it's okay to, to just get your needs met. It's okay to sleep around. And honestly, sometimes with this issue, the world says it's, you know, it's better if there aren't feelings involved. It's better if you don't get emotionally tied and it's just kind of an all physical thing. And guys, again, this is just tragic because sex is meant to be this holistic sharing, this holistic self-giving in this covenant relationship, this faithful relationship. And, and this doesn't reflect the covenant, covenantal faithfulness of our God who enters into a relationship with us. In all of these, in all these examples, guys, it's, I feel like um, it's, a, it's a take what you can now mentality. Take what you can now mentality. Just enjoy these physical pleasures um, while you can. It's all, you're free to do it all. Just explore it. You listen to those songs that we played at the beginning. That's what, that's what they sold. It's just experiment. Just try different things. It's all just, you know, just yours for the taking. Anything goes. And the world will tell you that there's a freedom in that. Okay, just experience that freedom. Let loose and do these things. But honestly, if we're real, we know that those things lead to greater bondage. We know that those things drive us into deeper bondage. They lead to shame and guilt and fear, a lack of trust. And that's not the way God intended it to be. Sex as God designed it has no fear, no shame, no trust. That's his, that's his perfect will for it. And if I could talk with each, each one of you individually, I, I guarantee all of us have some brokenness when it comes to our sexuality, some mistake that we made, um, some deep pain or, or, or uh, trauma regarding it. And we know, we know that what the world tells us doesn't lead to freedom. We know because we've experienced it in our hearts that it leads to deeper bondage. And it's hard and it's painful. And my goal in, in, in sharing this with you tonight and talking about this is not, not to make you feel more shamed not to make you feel uh, guilty, but to give you, give you hope, okay? I want to share a verse with you. First Thessalonians 4, 3-7 through seven says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. I love, I love how this verse starts and ends. This is the will of God, your sanctification, for God has called you to holiness. That's his will for your life. And, and, I, and I think a lot, of, a lot of us who struggle, we say, I'm too far gone. I've, I've messed up too much. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've experienced. There is no way that I can be a sexually whole person like God wants me to be. My encouragement to you, again, is that, is that this concept of virginity of the heart goes way deeper than the physical issue. And guys, we are all broken in different ways. We all screw up in different ways. We are all broken people. And God is in the process of sanctifying us and making us whole. And so my, my prayer and my heart for you is not that you would, you would be driven further into, into shame if you've, if you've done some things that you've messed up or that you would say, well, I've messed up. I might as well just keep going that way. God, that, guys, that's not God's heart for you. 
God's heart for you is your sanctification and your wholeness in this area of sexuality in your life. I, I want to I encourage you guys. I mean, we've, we've talked about it all weekend, but God's grace is so powerful in our lives. His love is so strong in our lives. We sing about this all the time. And uh, he, he's taking our brokenness and he's making us whole. He's sanctifying us. And, um, and my, my prayer for you all is you would experience that deep, deep love of Christ in your lives. You would experience his grace and that it would be applied to these areas in which you've messed up and these areas in which you maybe haven't messed up, but something's been done to you that's been incredibly painful. Uh, I really want to encourage you, if, uh, if you've got something like that, you've got some issue that's just, man, it's just eating you up, eating you up inside. Um, I think the first step toward freedom is getting it in the light. Okay? Um, we're not going to ask you to do that right now, but, but like, I want to encourage you, find one of us on staff, find some of our interns, find a, find a trusted, godly friend of, of the same gender that, that you can share this with, and start bringing these things into the light. Let's talk about them. And let's start together moving toward sexual wholeness. Okay? Because the world does not want us there. The enemy doesn't want us there. Um, guys, you, you can mirror God, even in your singleness. You can mirror God and reflect him as you interact as male and female. And, uh, and my, my hope is that as you guys do that, you would, you would just discover life and freedom in that as you affirm one another in your in your. And uh, your maleness and femaleness as you receive affirmation in that. And then it, that it would move you into closer relationship with others in the community. And that, that it might even lead to some dating relationships. And then it might even lead into marriage if that's what God has for you. But you can move that, that way now. And I promise you, promise you, promise you, you guys are going to have healthier marriages if you start doing this, if you start just trying to have these healthy relationships with others of, of the opposite sex. If there are things that you're struggling with, I want to put up some resources, um, several resources that can help. There's just some good websites. And uh, in a minute, I'll, I'll just put these back up here and I'll leave them up. But um, uh, for sexual addiction, got a couple of websites, homosexuality, singleness and sexuality, um, a website called soulvirgins.com. Uh, it's actually a great book that, that I read a few years ago. I had highly recommended, or I would highly recommend this, uh, this book called Soul Virgins. And it just talks about all these issues of being single and being designed as a sexual person. And what do I do with that? And what, what, how do I live that out? And then uh, other um, intimate issues, great conference for women. And then uh, Celebrate Recovery, which we do at Grace, um, are gr- some great resources for you if you're struggling with issues. Um, tonight we aren't, uh, we aren't going to break up into our small groups. Um, you know, I know this is a, this is a deep issue. It's a heavy issue and it's largely a private issue that many of us, um, haven't even begun to deal with, um, on certain levels. Maybe we've scratched the surface, but we need to get a little bit deeper. And so, um, what I want to do as we break, uh, for the next 30 minutes is, uh, I want you guys to write down some of these questions and I, and I want you to just think about it. Journal, journal about these on your own and, uh, and start processing what this means for you. First question is how, how is your view of sex developed into what it is today? Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, has it developed from 
from, from the things you've heard in the media? What is, you know, is your view of sex dirty? How did it get there? Um, what are the things that have shaped your view of sex? Um, and the next, what are the things that are keeping you from seeking after sexual wholeness? Okay. And what, 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 I, might, what I mean by that is maybe it's for you, it's a, it's a pornography addiction, or maybe for you, it's that you have a really hard time viewing people of the opposite sex as whole people. You just view the, the, the physical um, or, or maybe just mentally that's what sex means to you. Um, so think through that. And then finally, what proactive steps do you need to take to pursue sexual wholeness? Okay? So maybe that means um, for a pornography issue or something, you, you get an accountability partner, you disconnect the internet, whatever that is. Or maybe that means, um, uh, okay, I want to start viewing others as, as whole people. And I want to start really affirming people um, for who they are as a person and then set up accountability in that and start and put some proactive concrete steps in that as you think through that. So write those down. Uh, you f- feel free. You can sit where you are or you can uh, go and kind of process through this. But guys, I- I'll say this was one of the most helpful things that I've ever done in my life. You know, these questions might seem a little weird. They might seem a little strange. But in, uh, in our human sexuality class that I took years ago at, at seminary, they had us write like a sexual autobiography. But we laid everything out there. Our, our past, um, just all the things that have shaped us into, into who we are and our view of sex and, and how I view my, my sexuality. And, and then, you know, and we, we started working through this. That was huge for me. It, it, it brought things to life that I, I never knew were in my heart that I struggled with. And so I want to encourage you, really, really give this some time and thought. All right, let me pray for you guys as we, as we go. And then I think uh, we'll break, in a group, or break up, go off individually, journal a little bit. All right. Father, thanks so much for this time. And, and God, I, I do pray that we all would seek after what you have intended for us in our sexuality, in this tough issue, God. I pray that we'd seek after wholeness. And Father, I pray that, that one day, we all just could represent to the world who you are, that when the world looks at us and the way that we view this issue, when they look at us and they see the way that we interact, when they look at our marriages on down the road, they would be able to look in and go, I see something different in that. And that we'd be able to tell them it's only God. What you see here is a reflection of a God who is one, who who is Trinity, who who loves us and enters into a covenant relationship with us. Father, and I pray for those here tonight who are moving far away from that. And I pray, Lord, that, you, that, that they would begin to take some steps toward freedom, that you would sanctify all of us, that you would take our brokenness and make us whole. That's our prayer, Father. And I pray that, God, that you would just take this time now to really reveal some things to our hearts and minds that might lead toward change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys.